I have, something to, I have something to say. You guys are all, all evangelists. All of you are an evangelist, whether you realize it or not, you are an evangelist. You see, we are all an evangelist for something. We are all an evangelist for something. We love to spread the news of things that we believe have changed our life. You see, we talk with evangelistic fervor about things like this, like products that we buy, the movies that we've seen, the TV shows that we're watching, the podcasts we're listening to, the books that we're reading, the apps that we've downloaded, the restaurants that we love. We are, we're evangelists for these things, are we not? Uh, you want to get evangelized? Just talk to someone who has started a new diet or someone who's doing CrossFit. You know, here's another one. How do you know you're being evangelized? You're talking to a mom who's just figured out sleep training. You're going to get evangelized. Two months ago, I finally, uh, you know, God did an amazing move in my life, and I finally responded to the good news of waves, waves, and I began to surf. I began to surf, and I, I'm, now I'm at this point where I'm like, how can you not surf? How can you not surf? And so I'm just, I'm on this, this mission to help people learn about the good news of waves. I, f I feel like I was lost, but now I'm found. Hallelujah. Uh, you see, we are all wired to share good news. And we, when something has changed our lives, when there's something we really believe in, we will go, we will even be able to face re resistance and opposition in order to get this message out that we have, that's changed our life. And what we're going to see and what we have seen is this, the story of Acts it really is just that. It's the story of the unstoppable spread of the gospel through men and women whose lives were changed, were gripped by God's grace. And remember, these people that are spreading God's grace, I mean, they're not the strong and the talented, they're, they're, but they're really, they are, they're broken and weak people, people with flaws, people with failures, people who have broke down, people who have bottomed out. And as I said last time I preached, I, uh, the best evangelists of grace are usually the ones who have experienced their desperation for it. In other words, it's your, when you're aware of your guilt, that actually sets you up well to be a, uh, an amazing evangelist of God's grace. And so the early believers that we're learning about as we make our way through Acts, I mean, their lives had been radically changed. And it was through these people that the Holy Spirit was bringing about this global gospel expansion. And so as we've seen in, in uh, the story of Acts, it's filled, it's filled with these amazing stories, these amazing stories of healings and miracles. But the central focus, I want us to hear this, the central focus isn't necessarily the miracles as cool as, as, as those are. It's amazing to see people get healed. It's amazing to see all of these miracles happening, but the central focus is not the miracles, it's the message, the message that is spreading. That's what that's what we see, and what, what's I, what I love to do is as I'm reading through Acts, and I would encourage you to do the same as you're, as you're reading through Acts, and you hear these apostles begin to articulate the gospel, as they begin to articulate the good news, you, we're getting a sneak peek to the original good news. We're hearing, we're kind of like a fly on the wall, we're hearing the message that they cared about. We're hearing it from their mouths, and we're able to kind of pinpoint, like, what is the good news that they were all about, that they had committed themselves to? So I love that. Whether, it, whether they had one minute or one hour, whether it was an entire sermon or just a few sentences, we get to hear the message that they cared about. And so 
we're going we're gonna to continue on. We're not, we're not going to only be able to see in today's passage the, the original good news, is what I'll call it, but we'll also see the unstoppability of the gospel through the Spirit. We're going to continue to see the unstoppability of the, the power of the gospel through the Spirit. And what we'll see today is that God does God-sized things in order to propel his message, his grace forward, that nothing can stop or thwart him. So we're going to jump in. We're going to pick up in Acts 5. We're going to start with verse 12. And really the background here is that, I mean, this is Luke's summary of what's going on at the time, that the, the apostles, their popularity is rising. They're, they're trending. People are, are coming from all over Jerusalem. They're coming to see what is going on with these apostles here. Verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And there's a lot in here in that chunk that we could talk about. What I, what I want to highlight, though, is what we are seeing here is really the fruition, the, the, the answer to the prayers that these apostles had prayed back in chapter 4. Remember, back in chapter 4, they said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And so we're seeing prayers get answered here. The apostles, they're, they're, as, as these prayers are being answered, as, as uh, miracles and healings are happening, their popularity, of course, is rising among the people. And of course, this becomes a problem. This becomes a problem, specifically with the other religious leaders. Verse 17, But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So it makes sense why they prayed for boldness, right? They knew they were going to face an increasing amount of resistance, of antagonism. And I want us to hear this. I want us to hear this. Where the name of Jesus is preached, where the name of Jesus is preached, there will always be opposition. There will always be some sort of resistance. You can count on it. You can set your watch by it. You see, there will, be, there will be people who hear the news of Jesus and they will say that that's the aroma of life as 2 Corinthians talks about. That's the aroma of life and there's going to be other people who hear the message of Jesus and they'll be like, that's the stench of death and they are going to hate you for it. So we don't need to be surprised by resistance and opposition. But this is important. I love this. The, the unstoppable power of the gospel is often showcased not in the absence of opposition but in the context of it. And it's the very context of opposition that allows God's unstoppable grace to be showcased. It's not in the, the easy times and the smooth sailing. It's in the hard times, the rough times, where you, we, begin, we can see just how powerful God's grace is to press forward. So once again, they get arrested. And this must be, feel like somewhat of a deja vu moment for uh, specifically Peter and John. I mean, back in chapter 4, they did some time. They have a record. And now it sounds like it's, it's Peter, John, and all the boys. 
All the apostles, I mean, they're, they're all now put into prison. They all have a record now. Now they have that awkward moment in their next job interview. Like, have you ever been in prison? I mean, they have to talk about that now. They have a record. But I love this. Verse 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people, all the words of this life. First of all, I love that the angel comes during the night. Angel comes in the midst of darkness. Like this is kind of this picture that reveals that even when things are dark, we can still trust that God is at work. We can still trust that he, his plan is not thwarted and he cannot be stopped. The angel opens the prison gate and lets them out. And so I love that it's not a jailbreak moment. They didn't have to dig out themselves dig out a hole with a spoon they didn't have to you know crawl through the sewers or you know, escape through the air ducts they the angel opened the prison gate and they walked out and notice what he says go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life let me ask you a question how many of you would describe christianity as the message of life it's an interesting way to talk about it. Go and, and talk about the, 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 the all, speak to them all the words of this life. How many of us would, would describe Christianity as the message of this life? You see, Christianity will often get described in a number of different ways. Uh, in its most simplest form, oh, it's a religion. Christianity, is, it's a religion. That's just the, you know, the simple answer. But you, know, you dig down a little deeper and you hear people begin to talk about what is Christianity? We'll hear things like, well, it's, it's about self-improvement. It's about uh, behavior reform. It's, it's, it's about rules, restrictions, regulations, or even it's about godly living. That sounds good. I mean, it's, it's about godly living. It's about morals and values. And uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. But hear this. There's a big difference between preaching a message about the Christian life and preaching Christ who is our life. There's a vast difference between preaching a message about the Christian life versus preaching Christ who is our life. When the focus of Christianity becomes Christian living and not Christ living in us, then we have put the proverbial cart before the horse. You know, we even talk about Jesus as a, we talk about him as our Lord and our Savior, and that's absolutely true. But did you know that he's even more than that? Yes, Jesus is my, he's, he's my savior. He died for me. He forgave me. He redeemed me. That's amazing news. He's also my Lord. He's, he's the one I trust. He's my authority. He's my truth. I'm submitted to him. But the gospel goes beyond that. The apostle Paul, he said that Christ is our life in Colossians 3. Christ is our life. It, it's, he's not just a part of our life, like a, a supplement or just an add-on, a little mixer, you know, put that in there. No, he's, he's our life. And so the message of life is the message that divine life comes to live inside of you through Jesus Christ. I love what this, in 1 John 5, 11, and 12, this is a verse that we had to memorize back in the day. Uh, it said, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Notice what it says there is, it says, whoever has the son, meaning the son is someone that you can have. 
The Son is someone given to you. You know, we talk a lot about receiving Jesus. Have you received Jesus? Oh, I received Jesus. What, what do we mean? I mean, when we talk about receiving Jesus, we need to ask the question, what is it that we are actually getting by receiving him? And I want to tell you that it's, it's more than forgiveness. It's more than mere forgiveness. The message of life is about more than just forgiveness. It's, more, it's about more than just a fresh start. It's about more than just a future in heaven. It's about getting something. It's about getting someone, getting the Son, getting Jesus Christ, His life. Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, so reconciliation comes from the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. You see, salvation is not just a, it's a golden ticket with your name on it that's waiting for you in heaven. No, salvation is a person. It is the life of Christ being infused within you. It means you, salvation means you get the Son. So salvation is not just Jesus given for you on the cross, but it is that he is given to you. It is the resurrected Jesus Christ literally dwelling within you. So he who has the Son has life. It's the one and the same. And so the message of life, when we talk about that, it's not a message of self-improvement and moral makeovers. It's not a, it's not a message about better ways to live the Christian life. It, the message of life is the message that Christ is our life. And this is the message that the angel of the Lord is commanding the apostles to speak. He says, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So continuing on in, in verse 21, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. I love that they just, they obeyed. They just, there was no, they weren't a flight risk. <laughs> they didn't run and hide. They went directly to the temple and began to teach. Verse 21 continued, uh, now when the high priest came and, the, and those who were with them, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Man, this had to sound pretty familiar to these people, right? Guards standing outside, no one inside. You see, not too long before this, there had been a similar report, but this report took place outside of a tomb, <laughs> not a prison. It's like, this is starting to sound familiar. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. You can't blame them. They're like, soups confused. This is confusing. This is perplexing. I don't know what it's going to come to. Verse 25, and then someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison, they're standing in the temple teaching the people. I mean, this has got to be like a huge slap in the face. I mean, they, here they are, right back at it, right under your nose, doing the very thing that you told them not to do. This was bold. They weren't sneaking around. They weren't trying to be incognito about it. They were in the temple where everyone was preaching the name of Jesus. And then the captain uh, verse 26, went with the officers. Uh, they brought them, the apostles, but not by force, 
for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they're being, you know, they're being diplomatic here. They know that the, the, the people are all about these apostles right now. So for us to use any force, this could, you know, backfire on us. And so they, they, they go and they get them and they don't use any force. But that, what does that tell you? It says the apostles went willingly. They didn't put up a fight, put up a stink. And so it's just kind of a, a cool moment where like they must have had this, this amazing confidence in God's plan that they went willingly. They knew they were in God's hands. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. I think it's interesting like what the priest, not so much what he said, but what he did not say in this moment. I don't know about you, the first thing I'd be like, okay, how the heck did you guys get out? Tell me, like, who, who do I need to fire? How did you escape? That, that's like the burning question on my heart. But he doesn't even go there. And I'm wondering if it was just kind of a, uh, it, it would have been embarrassing to know. Or if he knew the answer to that question, he would know, oh, God is in this. It was a, it was a miraculous thing. Like, so maybe he just did not want to know. But the other thing that's, that's missing is the name Jesus. He omitted the name of Jesus. He carefully avoided mentioning his name. And, we, and Ryan talked a little bit about this, but you know, not too long after this moment, we know that uttering the name of Jesus was uh, considered blasphemy eventually by the Pharisees. Uttering the name of Jesus was blasphemy. And so it makes sense that he here is avoiding saying that name as well. And he's also, we see, very angry about being charged with the responsibility for Jesus' blood. You're trying to put this guy's blood on us. And really what that was is an Old Testament you know, to lay someone's blood on someone was an Old Testament expression of really the charge. Uh, it was an expression for a charge of murder. And in the accordance with Jewish tradition, it demanded the uh, death penalty, saying, you killed this person. You know, so the high priest is essentially saying to the apostles, like, you're trying to get us killed and, uh, for the responsibility in this man's death this man's death. And the irony of this whole thing is Peter's not trying to get them killed. He's trying to get them saved. He's not trying to get them killed. He's trying to get them saved. Everything he says here is more of a witness than it is a vindication. See, this is not, an this is not a, a self-defense moment for Peter. It's an evangelistic one. And Peter and the apostles, they answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And then he launches into one of his, his many sermons here, preaching the gospel. In verse 30, he says, the God of our fathers, all of us here, not just us apostles here, but everyone here in this room, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. I love it. He said, don't preach the name of Jesus and don't you dare put our, put our, make us responsible for his death. And that's the first thing he does. <laughs> you killed Jesus. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these, witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Again, back to chapter four. This is the moment that they were praying for, this kind of moment to speak with boldness. And notice the message that Peter's speaking here. It's not some generic, feel-good, fluffy message of Christian principles. It's not a generic message of love. I mean, that kind of, of, of message, I mean, that would really, that'd be acceptable and that would fly in any church today, any setting. If we're just talking about, oh, like some nice Christian principles. 
But when we get specific about the name, when we don't pull any punches about the blood, that's a different story. When we get specific about the name of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and all of those things, I mean, that gets offensive. I mean, look at the reaction. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Off with their heads. That's my paraphrase. The question is, why this reaction? I mean, what does the preaching of Jesus and the cross do for this Jewish audience? I love this one author and commentator. He summarized it this way. The cross means the veil has been torn. The cross means the temple is useless. The cross means the sacrificial system now goes to the wayside as obsolete. The, the cross means job insecurity for many. The cross means that everything else pales in comparison. The cross means that Judaism is now inferior. The cross is intimidating. But Christian living, that's a nice thought. That's not intimidating. Christian principles and standards, that's fine. Christian ideas applied to politics, no skin off our back. We can tolerate that all day long. But when you come in here and say our temple is now defunct, when you come in and say our sacrifices are now meaningless, now you've stepped on our toes and you will pay. What is the gospel that offends? And is that your gospel? Peter speaks up boldly and proclaims the name of Jesus. And just to remind you, like, this is the same Peter who earlier on bailed on Jesus. He denied even knowing him. He distanced himself from Jesus to save face. It's just kind of, a, again, an amazing picture of the work that, that God has done in Peter's life. And so the religious leaders, they're furious, and they want to kill them. And then we see this rad moment, this Pharisee named Gamaliel, who is respected by everyone He's in, the, he's in here, he's hearing all of this go down, and, he's, and he stands up, and, he's, and he says, let's send the apostles out, I've got something to say. Let's get these guys out of here, I want to talk with you guys. Mono e mono. So verse 35, he said to them, men of Israel, take care. Come on, let's be, let's be smart here, let's think, as we figure out what to do with these men, because as I've looked through history and I've, I've, you know, how these things kind of typically go, you know, we'll remember this. Like before these days, there was a guy named Thutis. Remember him? He rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. Well, what happened to him? Remember, he was killed and the, all who followed him were dispersed and, and came to nothing. That's one example. And then there was another guy. Remember Judas, the Galilean? Remember him? He rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But let's remember, he too perished and all who followed him were scattered. That's just, we're two for two, guys. We're two for two. So in the, in the present case, verse 38, I tell you, don't keep away from, uh, no, keep away from these men and, uh, and let them alone. Don't turn this into this, this witch hunt you know, where you hunt them down. No, because if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. It's going to be stoppable. It will figure itself out. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be, be found to be opposing God. 
And so you see this guy, Gamaliel, he offers, you know, he drops some wisdom on this council. He drops some wisdom. He's like, hey, like there's two, here's two examples of these movements that have fizzled. You know, so why not, we, why not just err on the side of caution? Like, this is just another man-made thing. It's going to fail. But if this is of God, nothing, nothing that we do is going to be able to stop it. We might even end up being on the wrong team. Well, here we are, all of us, 2,000 plus years later, and it's pretty clear that we see from our vantage point how God is using this guy, Gamaliel, to preserve and protect this unstoppable movement. It's kind of cool. He uses this as a means of preserving and propelling his plan forward. You see, if it is of God, it will not be stomped out. If it is of God, it will prevail. This is true, still true for us today. I have to imagine that things are not going to be get easier for us as a, uh, as a church in the, the months and the years to come. And we know that persecution, resistance, opposition to the name of Jesus, that's already here in many ways. And it's only going to get worse before it gets forever better. And Jesus made it clear in John 16, he says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this Jesus who overcomes, he's not far off in distance. Distant, this Jesus who overcomes is in you and I. We have the overcomer living, dwelling in us. Because Christ is our life. So let's finish the story here. We see the council. All right, all right. Gamaliel, you, oh, you, okay. We get it. We should take his advice. And they did. And when they called the apostles back in, you guys are lucky. This guy spoke up, made some sense. So we're just going to beat you, um, give you a whooping, and then we'll send you on your way. But you better not speak in the name of Jesus. And so they did that, and then they let them go. And I love the last two verses. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. They rejoiced. I mean, they probably walked out of there. I like the picture of walking out of there, high-fiving, chest-bumping. They're just like, they're, they're fired up. That they were considered worthy by the Lord to, to endure that. See, God had made them worthy. He was their deepest, he was their deepest joy. And this gave them boldness. It gave them confidence. And they kept preaching the name of Jesus, the message of life. So in conclusion this morning, I really think that this, this story, this story, and the band, you guys can kind of make your way up here now. This story really provides confidence and comfort. Those two things. It provides confidence and comfort. Confidence in the message of life. That we can have confidence in the message of life that we are absolutely 100% forgiven in Christ, but it doesn't stop there, that we also have new life. New life has been given to all who believe and call upon the name of the Lord. New life. The message of life is the message of Christ's life imparted to you and to me. And we can bank on it. We can have confidence in it. And I want to say this. Make the message of life your life's message. 
Make the message of life your life's message that when people hear you, get to know you, talk, when you share your faith with them, when you're, when you're talking with them about your faith, about this amazing God, this gospel, that it's the message of life that you are giving them. Make the message of life your life's message. Not just what you say through word, but how you live as well. You live and express the new life of, of Christ in you. Make the message of life your life's message. And second, secondly, along with confidence that we can take comfort. We can take comfort knowing that God cannot be stopped. That whatever he wants to do in you, whatever he wants to do through you, he's going to accomplish it. Good luck trying to stop him. He's going to get his way. He's going to prevail. This is good news, and this should bring comfort to us, too. It brings comfort to me to know. Like, think about the people that we pray for, the people that we care for, the people that our hearts break for. Take comfort knowing that the work of God is never, ever prevented. It cannot be stopped. We may not understand how he's working, but thankfully, God is not limited to the size of our understanding. We have an unstoppable God. And so we're going to if you can right now, would you stand with us? We're going to sing to this unstoppable God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for what you have given to us. Lord, what you have provided for us. We thank you for the message of life. Lord, we thank you that you have, have, have come and given yourself to us so that we're not trying to figure out how to become better people and live out these, these Christian values and morality and, and just trying to fix ourselves. God, but you, you're calling us to trust that, that you've forgiven us and to trust you to, to live and to, and, and, and to trust and depend on you in everyday life and to express that life in us. But we thank you for the story of these, these apostles, the boldness that you gave them, the confidence that they had and it wasn't just, it wasn't just them, God, it was you doing your work through them, your spirit, and you're still doing that today. So help us to see in more stunning clarity the ways that you are at work right here in this church, here in Encinitas, Lord, North County, San Diego, through these people, this family. We're excited about what you want and are going to do.